Greetings, ladies and mandelgents, and welcome to this latest episode of Tales from Outer Space. Taken from the subreddit HFY. The links to all the stories will be down below, and as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider subscribing. Story number one. Might as well invade terror while you're at it. Written by Ryan Gendert. Throughout the years since humanity's entrance to the galactic stage, the phrase invading terror became synonymous with futile. Friends and foe alike avoided the hyperspace stream leading to Sol like the plague. Only a handful of the most adventurous and wealthy Terran allies ever willingly entered humans' home system. In the heart of the human home system, Sol sat surrounded by a constellation of satellites humanity called Partial Dyson Swarm. Their skewered technology evolution resulted in them mastering antimatter production and interplanetary travel even before they harnessed fusion power at industrial capacity. And by the time fusion became truly practical, a ring of focused mirrors already filled the orbit around the equator of the star, sparsely interrupted by massive antimatter factories and mass driver tens of kilometers in size. These mass drivers launched what basically antimatter missiles at numerous captured facilities around Terra, where it slowed down and landed in a harness on the surface. Naturally, these mass drivers also were capable of launching missiles at a sizable fraction of the speed of light if they don't care about recapturing it or preventing the target from being obliterated, like, say, um, at an invasion fleet on the edge of the system. In addition, a pair of massive stellar lifter stations on Sol's polar orbit redirects plasma from the star into refineries and provides resources for their operations throughout the system. Their immense electromagnetic field capable of turning the plasma stream into a gigantic lance streaks across the system to destroy any ship slipping through the body of antimatter missiles. Moving outwards, Terra itself has been turned into a sea urchin of Ecomonopolis, numerous giant space elevators jutting from its surface. They're very benign, but as anyone who has ever used a space elevator could tell you, these planetary-scale artilleries only stayed non-lethal through bureaucratic power alone. If an invader ever approached within a hundred million kilometers of Terra, they would be reduced to individual molecules by a stream of relativistic metal plasma. Gigantic tachyon communications tower dominated the Martian landscape, powered by geothermal stations that, if needed, could surge enough energy to collapse time and space and erase entire fleets that get close enough from existence. An array of mining lasers firing into space once occupied by an asteroid belt, ready to shred any unauthorized vessel that passes through it. Encircling the four outer gas giants on the system were antimatter factories and mass drivers not unlike those on Sol orbit, only powered by fusion reactors instead of the star. The Oort cloud was filled with shield generators, a lot of which were salvaged from the foolish few that thought that they could conquer humanity by striking right at the heart, rendering it mostly impenetrable. The list of Terran defenses goes on. Every ten years, the tachyonic shield and shape of inverted cone is projected from the lunar surface kilometer towards Sol. Following this, for a week straight, a barrage of antimatter missiles are rhythmically launched at the shield with perfect precision. The impact and subsequent antimatter detonation produced disturbance of the tachyonic field that is broadcast to all devices capable of emulating it. 
TV, entertainment systems of terror houses, and the shielding systems of idle spaceships watching it from orbit. The spectacular show is also broadcast throughout the galaxy, along with a light show of the old cloud courtesy of the outer gas giant's mass drivers and occasional beams from the stellar lifters. But those who have been fortunate and brave enough to experience it directly from Terra Orbit all agreed that there is nothing quite the same as the excitement nor the thrill of watching the great festival within the same system that it was performed in. End of story. Story number two. The Monsters Amongst the Stars. Written by Schneeky the Lost. Throughout history, mankind has both feared the unknown and sought it out. Mankind drew artificial boundaries, then sought to surpass them. Mankind has gone ever out to explore for new life and new civilizations, to explore what lies beyond the next horizon. Unfortunately, for most of our history, that has also been paired with the desire to conquer it as well. In the days of the ancient Greeks, in times so ancient that it is only passed down to us by virtue of being included in some previous collection of history that was then handed down to some larger body of historical work, and so forth. The whole entirety of their world was little more than a few hundred kilometers across, ranging from a fertile crescent between the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers all the way to the Mediterranean Ocean and around its coastlines. They could not even imagine the vastness of the planet that they'd lived upon. As civilization advanced and grew, its concept of the world expanded to include all of Europe into Asia, and realizing that Africa was quite a bit larger than they'd originally realized. But then, on the borders of the maps, there lay a phrase, Here there be monsters. Stories of legends of monsters and uncharted waters were commonly traded amongst those who plied the sea lanes, and thus they came into contact with them. By the time humanity had matured enough to finally understand the scope of their planet, they once again looked to further their horizons. They looked to the stars now, and wondered what monsters might lurk in the vast, empty voids between the solar systems. Much like the seafaring ancestors before them, much folklore was written on the topic. Science fiction, it was called then. Some were written to further understanding, to explore concepts, or to warn of potential problems. Some were purely sensational, written for, as they would say, spinning a good yarn. Despite having been absolutely no signs of life outside of their own planet, when they took those first clumsy footsteps into orbit, they expected, or at least hoped, that they would indeed meet others who ply the space between the stars, or at least find signs of the once mightily interstellar civilizations, secrets to plumb, mysteries to reveal. But the greater mystery was the complete and total lack of any such discoveries, a mathematician by the name of Fermi was the first to quantify this mystery, known as the Fermi's Paradox. Surely, even as remote as the odds are for life to occur, with so many countless billions and trillions of chances, surely it would have happened elsewhere. Surely humanity was not the only sentient species to have ever existed. Could it? Life was eventually found on other planets, but it was just microbial, 
Nothing had even gotten beyond the slimeball stage and organized into a multicellular life. But these slimeball planets had potential, at least some of them. And so humanity applied their science and their will, bent the full force of their might to terraform some of these worlds into ones habitable for them. There was much debate on the topic. Questions arose that we may be depriving planets of the ever having a chance of developing their own species if we just came in with our own. Yet the desire, the unslaked need to expand, to plant our flag as far from our motherland as we can, drove us to do it anyway. A dozen worlds and more were carefully crafted for our conveniences. There was no wildlife on these planets. There was only what we carefully permitted, garden worlds whose ecosystem were entirely artificial structures, built and maintained by the very humans who inhabited them. Still, mankind spread, and still mankind sought any signs of life of other sentient life, and still a fear of the unknown lingered in a common psyche. Surely, here there must be monsters somewhere around them. Little did we know how right we were to fear. When we left Mother Terra, we brought along unwanted passengers as well, like rats from the age of the sailcloth and sabers, bringing them fleas and plague. Only this plague was far more insidious one than the biological agent. No, we brought with us our emotional baggage. We brought hate, we brought intolerance, we brought bigotry, we brought patriotism, and blind, unthinking devotion to a cause. We brought religious fervor, divorced from rational thought, and so there was a monster that lurked between the stars. Us, due to the vast distances, communications were scarce and scant, colonies developed their own identities and their own practices, and wanted the freedom to pursue those practices. The first to declare their independence was the oldest colony, Luna herself. Now a vast industrial infrastructure and a single largest manufacturer of transplanetary and transstellar ships, as well as the first port of call for any journey to or from the ancient birthplace. Mars was next. The Baltas supplied the mineral-rich asteroid belts and brought them to Mars, for refining were always an independent and fractitious bunch, but news of these revolutions reaching the further-flung colonies of distant stars, they too developed revolutionary ideas and seeded to become their own independent polities. You must remember, in that day and time, we did not have the technology we do now. It took months, or even years, using the old Terran standard for these time frames, of course, for a vessel to go from Sol to one of these far-flung colonies. Our FTL methods were still primitive and crude by modern standards. There were no stargates for instantaneous translation between two points. Just as the atomic age must have thought the pre-industrial age of exploration to have been slow and clumsy, so do we look back at this period of history with a chuckle at how primitive our ways and means were. But that very distance, that time gap, was the key factor in the revolutions. By the time Terra knew of them, they had already become a fate to comply. A few of them wished to remain in contact with the masters. For you see, it wasn't cheap to terraform a world, even a slime ball with all the right components and conditions. 
The original colonists fell into one of three categories. The wealthy, who moved there to claim ownership by right of economic might, who had invested in these projects and were guaranteed dividends from the former property. These were the new landlords, the new robber barons of the new worlds. The second were those who highly desired skills. Doctors, scientists, engineers, those whose skills were critical to the new colony surviving. Those were the bourgeois, the freeholders. And then there were the birthers, the common man, those who would sell the only thing worth enough money to get them to a new land of promise. Themselves. A term was resurrected from the refuse pile of yesteryear, indentured servitude where a person might sell themselves into labor in exchange for a birth, promising servitude for a period of time for the passage out of the rut that they were stuck in. Unfortunately for them, another concept was also dredged up from the equally foul refuse pile of history and left behind, the company town. And birthers always found themselves somehow making little progress in paying down the debt they owed. The investors wanted freedom so they could become masters in their own right, rather than beholden to the corporations back on earth. The talents wanted freedom to pursue their specialty unfettered by rules and regulations that they felt didn't apply on their distant world, and the regulations for earth did not fit their world. The birthers just wanted to be free from the contracts which had become generational the debts of the fathers taken up by their sons. Looking back at it without hindsight, it seems intuitive to us what the outcome would be. After all, such things have played out before in human history. If, on a smaller scale, the investors became dictators and monarchs, the talents became the middle class, and the birthers generally remained effective slaves. And, as had played out many times before in human history, that lasted until the birthers, who outnumbered everyone else by a substantial margin, would inevitably rise up against their betters. And so, the downward cycle of regression and systematic collapse played out over a dozen distant worlds. On some planets, they managed to recover, to start to claw themselves back into a healthier societal structure, back into their local space. On others, the Dark Ages would last for centuries, not to be rediscovered until much later. On some worlds, religious fervor took root and became theocracies. On others, the corporate model was pursued at the extent of ethics and morality. The history of each of these planets deserves its own study. It is a fascinating microcosm of human nature, an inadvertent social experiment on a scale almost beyond conceptualization. Earth herself was not immune to these changes either. Corporations who depended upon investment from the other worlds went bankrupt, sending the economy into a downward spiral. Many fortunes were lost, but perhaps that too was for the best. For in breaking the old system, it gave room for a new system to take root and grow. And from that, the seeds of our current Terran Federation blossomed. Luna and Mars both did not want to be dependent upon Terra, yet they both found it extremely expensive and costly to maintain life support and hydroponics without imports of the cradle of humanity. Earth was struggling to recreate industry without resorting to practices of nearly doomed generations before something that Luna and Mars had an extreme abundance of. 
Soon Earth, Luna, and Mars reached an agreement, an economic union agreeing upon terms of trade beneficial to all parties. From there, other agreements were reached, thus the three spheres of the Venn diagram of blue for Terra, white for Luna, and red for Mars, form the core of what is now the Terran Federation flag. Fear and ignorance have always been our greatest foes. The true monsters that lurk not just amongst the stars, but within ourselves. Which is why we counter these with education, with self-actuation, and self-realization. It is why our educational practices focus on not what to think, but what you think. Because, as this period of time in our history has shown, if we do not counter ignorance with education, we do not counter superstition with scientific methodology, if we do not counter greed with morality, then we become truly monstrous indeed. Many of you students ask why this is a mandatory class. This is why. This is, perhaps, one of the most important lessons that learn from our history, because humanity, still, to this day, is the only known sapient life form to exist, or have ever been known to exist, and all of our forays into the deeper arm within our galaxy, we have not yet uncovered a single shred of evidence supporting multicellular life not from Terran origin. And we very nearly went extinct on a dozen different worlds. We dare not forget this lesson, lest we repeat it yet again. The great thinker from before FTL once referred to Earth as a tiny and insignificant pale blue dot, and for all of our scientific advances, we have only begun to truly comprehend the vastness of the truth of the statement. Only now that we can truly plumb the vast empty black reaches between the stars can we fully appreciate how insignificant our planet of origin truly is, and how truly significant we all are. But, at least to the best of our knowledge and current understanding, we are the only sapient life anywhere. This is why, when we speak of our fellow people, we do so in a fellowship of equals. Because, if we devolve into castes again, that faint dim glimmer of life may well snuff out. And there will be no one to mourn our passing. In this course, we will be studying the period of history from the first extrastellar colonies to foundation of the Federation. Sadly, we really aren't able to do much more than skim over the high and low points. This period of history spans hundreds of years, after all, and with over a dozen locations, each with their own unique histories independently going on during the dark times. But hopefully, I can at least convey to you, my students, the varied ways humanity coped with isolation. We can debate the pros and cons of the various systems. We can weigh and measure the effectiveness. For as we do so, we may begin to understand the true strength of the Federation. Unity through acceptance of differences. One person's strengths offsetting another's weakness. One system's strengths offsetting another's weakness. A woven web of interdependence, the whole stronger than the mere sum of its parts. Excerpt from the Introduction to the Fractured World's History Class. End of story. And that, my friends, is the end of the video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you wish to support the author, check the links down below for the original link. 
But if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways listed down below, but the easiest would be to share this with as many people as possible to help the channel grow. And I will see you all in the next video, and until then, I hope you all have a good one. Cheers.